Greetings, ladies and gents, and welcome to this daily science fiction extravaganza, commonly known as Tales, Tales from Outer from space. Out, space. space. Taken from the subreddit HFY, all the relevant links will be down below. And, as always, I hope that you enjoy. And if you do, please consider supporting the channel. On to the science fiction. Story number one. Human Greg, the Engineer. Written by Bulgain Rockfan. A frantic knocking on the door to his office told Captain Zolgoman that someone wanted to see him urgently. Probably the newbie again. He thought irritably. The kid needed to calm down. He pressed the button to open the door, and sure enough, the newbie almost fell into his office. Zolgoman tried to not sigh too loudly, but the kid was probably too panicked to notice or care anyway. Captain Pack um, was all the newbie managed to get out before stopping to catch his breath. Captain, breathe. Captain, I was just, uh, breathe. Passing through the engineering, breathe. And the quantum, breathe. Overdrive, breathe. Regulator, breathe. Us making strange noises, breathe. And I couldn't find any of the engineers nearby. Ah, this conversation, Zolgaman thought. This should be fun. Oh, hey, newbie, he deadpanned. Did you see anything burning? He almost saw the gears in the newbie's brain come to a grind and stop. Burning? he asked. No, Captain, he added a moment later. Good. Nothing to worry your tail about, then. That's just Greg doing the thing that he does. And there went the gear, spinning in motion again. Greg, Captain, I haven't met anyone on this ship named Greg, or even heard of anyone by that name. Well, yeah, you've only been here for what? A bit over a week? Two weeks, Captain, exactly. But, Captain, with all due respect, this is not a very big ship. I think I might have met everyone on crew within the first three days. Everyone but Greg Newby. Don't worry your tail about it. Even I myself have only seen him a handful of times, and two of those were when I hired him. But uh, who is he, Captain? What does he do? And why doesn't he show himself? Nogamon couldn't help but shrug. He barely understood the motivations of Greg himself. I don't know, newbie. He just kind of showed up one day asking for a job in engineering. So we gave him a trial for one trip. Nobody saw him the entire journey, but we arrived at our destination a full day earlier than the computers predicted. Oh, the kid exclaimed, clearly in awe, which was normal reaction, really, as Algerman had to admit. There were times he himself needed to take five minutes to contemplate just how absurd that kind of performance improvement that they'd seen were. Right, we hired him immediately after that. Only saw him twice after that. Once to complain that no one had bought him the Red Bull he requested, and once about the absolute state of the molecular transporter field. I didn't even know we had one of those. What does it do? Uh, no idea, newbie. But it sounded important, so I just gave him some credits to order a new parts he wanted. Ever since then, we've been getting our destinations faster and faster. He's a real miracle worker, our little human. Earlier in the engineering compartment, 
I'm telling you, Sarah, this is hands down the best gig I've ever had. For all that these big bastards have brains the size of a baby elephant. I, they sure don't use it. Greg could almost hear Sarah roll her eyes over the phone. Come now, they can't be that dumb. Now it was his time to roll his eyes. No, Sarah, they really are. You know what I had to do to get hired. I plugged in a quantum overdrive regulator that had sitting around had never been connected. That's literally all I did. I spent the rest of the week napping in an engineering compartment and watching Netflix. Told the captain I was redirecting an ionized quantum energy flow or some bullcrap. They hired me on the spot. Okay, yeah, that's pretty dumb. But you've been on that chap for a while now. Don't tell me you spent that entire time just watching Netflix. No, that's pretty much it. They've got a bunch of other doodads sitting around unused. And when I feel like it, I plug one in. Wow. She almost sounded disappointed. That's um, pretty depressing. Sometimes I unplug something to make it seem as if there's a problem that I can fix later. They think that I'm some kind of space criminal that hides in engineering and makes the ship go faster in return for making mess and cabling and making the cake disappear. Well, they're not wrong, Sarah interjected without missing a beat. You wound me, Sarah. The cabling was a mess when I got you. Oh, I need to go. I can see someone is about to enter the compartment. I'm going to go queue up a bad dubstep mix. They seem to think that it's some sort of equipment acting up. End of story. Story number two. Ignore the tourists. Written by Darren Adler. Um, Mark, you, you see that, right? Mark tossed his cigarette butt into the fire, rubbed a sore muscle on his neck and raised a brow at Emily. See what? Behind, um, behind the trees there. Emily glanced doubtfully at the cigarette in her own hand. This is just, uh, tobacco, right? Oh, uh, them. Uh, pretend you don't see them. They think that they're being stealthy. Pretend I don't see the giant alien spaceship, she hissed. It's, uh, right there. And transparent. I can see the trees behind it. Is this some sort of new movie special effect? Are people shooting some sci-fi adventure out here? Nah, love. That's just the Braxians. Sorry, I keep forgetting this is your first time out here. Braxians? There's what Bobby calls them. Named them when we was five. Uh, I don't know what they call each other. We don't exactly get a chance to talk. If they think you've seen too much, they'll zap you with a brain thing. Mark put two fingers to the center of his forehead, indicating a gun and miming being zapped with an alien brain thing. It makes you forget the past three hours or so, and you wake up later with a monster headache. They think we can't see them, just, um, go with it. Emily tried hard to ignore the partly visible, frog-footed blob creatures hopping around just behind the tree line. They were crushing twigs and stumbling over rocks and talking to each other in what clearly thought was an inaudible whisper. Even in the darkening evening light, they weren't hard to spot. They looked hard to be made out of faintly reddish glass, but moved smoothly as you'd expect a frog blob with a large tentacles to move. No. They looked like something was shining a reddish light through something, and then had deleted the thing that was shining from existence. Like something, someone with way too much money and a fancy new video camera would come up with in the 80s. Why are they all red? She asked Mark in a low voice. 
It's their invisibility tech, Mark said with a weary affection. They think we can't see them. They don't seem to know that humans can see red. And don't worry, they don't speak English. He took two peers from his XC and his feet and handed them to Emily. They're out there, I don't know, about once a month when we come out. I don't know if they're here when we don't. Bobby Seven, Emily said, frowning. Weird invisible aliens have been coming out to your camp spot for two years, mind-wiping you and your son. Does the government know about this? Mark shrugged. They've never done anything about it. Have you told them? And risk getting the little guys hurt? Nah. Why? Are they here? What do they want? They're not, uh, building some kind of weapons base or research lab, are they? That's what we worried about at first, too. It took about six months to investigate, what with their memory-wiping tech putting us back every time they found us. But no, I can definitely tell you they're not here for science or war, or to take all our food or metal or nothing. Then why? Emily hissed, careful not to react to the low-volume chittering behind her. Mark took a draught of his beer. Behind him, a Braxian fell out a tree and froze, waiting to see if it had been heard. Mark ignored it. So far as I could tell, he said, they just think humans are really cute. It was surprisingly easy to get used to the Braxians. After that first night, they were a little more stealthy. Mark had explained that they had probably just been really excited to see a new human, but not quite stealthy enough to hide their presence. It took a little practice for Emily to get used to letting her gaze slide right over the alien standing frozen against the tree line, trying not to make a sound. But she didn't suffer any missing time or splitting headaches, so Emily supposed that she must be doing okay. They watched with fascination while she cooked in the morning eggs over the campfire, chittering excitedly as they themselves when Mark helped her treat the burn on her wrist that she'd gotten from the pan and sat patiently for hours while the pair went fishing on the little isolated beach that the tourists and holiday makers hardly ever found. Emily had always liked fishing with Mark. He was relaxed and gentle at the best of times, but even more so with a line in the water. Emily was a skilled and knowledgeable fisherwoman, and always made a point of going fishing with any man that she was thinking of getting serious about to see how he dealt with this. Most of them got weirdly defensive and set out to prove that how much they knew more than her, even if they'd never picked up a rod before. She stopped seeing people like that immediately. Some shared her hobby with her, or politely waited out their first trip and then confessed it wasn't for them and they'd just stay home and she went out. They were usually worth a shot. The first time she'd gone out with Mark, he immediately sat back once and the line was in and the water and started trading life stories with her. She happened to mention offhand in the middle of the conversation that she needed a new hat, before the conversation moved on to more interesting things. The next day, he went out and bought her one. That was the moment she had decided to stay in Australia. The Braxians seemed to find fishing fascinating. They pointed to dangerous-looking devices that Mark had assured her were probably cameras, I reckon, at the pair while they tied and baited their hooks and a couple had audibly gasped when they cast their lines. For the next half an hour, while the pair relaxed and chatted and watched the floats, the Braxians watched and talked amongst themselves. It was easier than Emily had thought that it would be to read the emotions of the tentacled alien blobfrog. They were clearly puzzled about what exactly was going on. 
When Mark's bloat jerked and he pulled in his fish for the day, the Braxians got so excited that Emney became worried that they would realize how audible they were. Cameras went off again, and again excited chatter hummed along the tree line, and Emily was pretty sure that she saw a particularly smug Braxian accepting some kind of brown beads of frustrated-looking ones. A few fish later, and they went back to camp to cook them up for dinner, and the Braxians were interested in this as they'd been in breakfast. They find fire exciting, Mark explained. They watch them once every time they think that we're leaning too close. It's adorable. They're constantly worried about going to hurt ourselves. I did burn myself this morning, Emily pointed out. You should have seen them get worked up when I cut myself on the kitchen knife. I think they thought that I was going to die. He tossed the last bullet fish into the pan and pushed it over the fire. The Braxians, as one, shrank back slightly. I wish they'd come out and interact with us, Emily mumbled. It'd be less weird. We've tried. Bobby tried for months before he decided he'd had enough memory-wiping headaches. He's got a notebook where he'd write down his strategies before giving them a go, if you're interested. How is he? Good. Grades are better this year. He's really settling in. Mark poked the fish with a stick. He likes you, you know. He's a good kid. Do we have tea? Yeah, and then it turned in the trunk. Emily went to fetch the tea, careful to take her time opening the door so that the Braxians going through their things had time to hide. After lunch, the pair went for a walk and Mark showed her how to find different plants and animals in the bush. And she showed him how to make a pit oven when they got back in case they had to cause to cook any of those animals. They headed back to the beach after dinner to fish with the sunset. Emily was always good luck fishing at sunset. But Mark didn't lead her out down to the fishing beach. Instead, he led her up to another path through the trees that went in a vaguely same direction. The path ended not from the sand, but on the lip of a large limestone cliff overlooking an ocean. The water was stained deep purple and wine red in the sunset. Emily wondered how the Braxians thought the sunset looked to humans. She wondered how it looked to Braxians. None of the Braxians were paying attention to the scene, though. They had their eyes only on Mark and Emily. I wanted to bring you out here for a reason, Mark said. To show me the aliens who stalk you? Emily asked, raising an eyebrow. No, I mean, yeah, them too. You'd have to know about that before, uh, before we, uh... Mark rubbed his neck. I'm not good at this, I just, um... I want you to be a part of every part of my world. I want to be a part of yours. For our worlds to be one and the same, I, uh, Emily, um, I've never been happier than since I've started sharing my life with you. I want to do that forever, officially. Emily frowned. Officially? I'm freaking this up, aren't I? I mean, Emily, uh, will you marry me? Mark sank stiffly to one knee, pulling out a small box from his pocket and opening it to exhibit a simple gold band. Emily looked out over the red waves and back to the man in front of her. She pointedly avoided looking at the suddenly completely silent Braxians. Have you talked to Bobby? Of course. Uh, last week. He really wants you in the family, too. I'd, uh, I'd like that a lot. Is that a, um, yes, it's a yes, you old idiot. Emily closed her hand over the ring box for safety and used her other arm to pull Mark to his feet. She pulled his face down to hers. Around her, the world bobbled in confused but excited voices as the Braxians tried to make sense of what was going on. 
Hady and Clamorous clicked over and over as they caught their first ever footage of a human kiss from multiple angles. Emily broke the kiss and whispered, We're getting Bobby a puppy. A puppy? Do we have room? We'll make room, and we'll take it out here on the weekends. Seven-year-old interacting with a little puppy. Those Braxians are going to lose their goddamn minds. End of story. And that, my friends, concludes this dose of science fiction fun. I hope that you enjoyed. And if you did, please don't forget to support the author from the link down below. But if you want to support this channel, there are links as well down below for you to help with. But the easiest way would be to share this video. And if you are so inclined, subscribe as well. I will see you all in the next episode, and I hope that you all have a fantastic time until then. Cheers.